Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to the first episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. This is a brand new series in which we're going to explore the entire run of Vampire the Masquerade from the very beginning to the most recent books. In each episode, we're going to discuss a specific release, what's included in the book, and how important it is to your collection. For those of you who are familiar to the game, this should be an enjoyable journey through the history of A World of Darkness and its gothic punk version of our world. For those unfamiliar with Vampire the Masquerade, please allow us to introduce you to a game that's changed and enriched our lives and the lives of many others like us. Vampire the Masquerade is a tabletop role-playing game first released in 1991, created by Mark Ryan Hagen by White Wolf Publishing. It was the first of several storytelling games for the World of Darkness setting. The game takes place in a fictionalized gothic punk version of our own world, where players assume the role of vampires dealing with their nightly struggles. Vampire the Masquerade would go on to spawn a live-action role-playing game, collectible card game, video games, novels, and even a TV show called Kindred the Abraced. In addition, other games set in the World of Darkness would follow, including Werewolf the Apocalypse, Mage the Ascension, Wraith the Oblivion, Changeling the Dreaming, Hunter the Reckoning, Mummy the Resurrection, Kindred of the East, and Demon the Fallen. Today, we will start our journey where it all began with the 1991 core rulebook for Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan, and with me, as always, if you're familiar with our previous podcasts... Is Bob, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Alrighty. So, starting at the very beginning, I guess we should introduce the book. It is Vampire the Masquerade, the original core rule book released in 1991. What I like about the date is that Vampire the Masquerade is a phenomenon in 1991 because this started the whole, as a, as a side note, the whole vampire cults, if you recall back in the day. I do remember that uh, vampires in general were very popular. Do you remember some weird stuff coming out of Florida around that time? Yep. Uh, Florida, you had uh, little, good old Little Rock, Arkansas again. And uh, just, just to name a few, but south of the Mason-Dixon line, obviously, is, was the cry. Everybody up north just thought it was weird kids. Yeah. You know, just, what is this? And then they find out it's like D&D, &D, and then they walk away from it. Yeah, I do remember in the, in the late 80s and early 90s that role-playing games in general were viewed with a certain sort of speculation by the general media, like a general distrust. But collectively speaking, vampires, <laughs> vampires were very popular in various subcultures in the late 80s and early 90s. There's a ton well, of I mean, different movies had, and stuff. You had Forever Night that was dancing around as a TV show, and that was the one about the cop detective. Yep. Uh, the cop detective. The detective, Homicide, who was also a vampire. Yes, I do who, recall. Who's trying to dance between two worlds. And it was actually, a, I loved the show. I thought it was very good. Um, strangely, I don't own anything by it. No, I don't, uh, I don't own anything. That particular like subculture has kind of escaped me. We do have a, a vast collection of vampire movies. And in, an insane amount. I mean, we're thinking this book came out when I was 12, and I was already just oogling over, you know, Dracula, period. Yeah. You know, it's one of the first novels that terrified my mother who told me about it at length. I was forbidden to read it. So a little, bit, a little, a little bit of background, like... Um, we were both kids when this came out, but I was I was 10 years old when this came out. This is actually before I got into role-playing, so I missed this book. This isn't the book that I started with, so going back and reading it for the first time, really, when I started, we were already on second edition. This is the, the launch. It created the foundation 
of the game that we know and grew to love. Right. And I mean, I can even remember just one fun fact. There are a lot of shows that, that kind of titillated with immortality, such as Highlander. Yeah. That was a big series that was out and kicking at that point. It was very, very popular. And I think with Forever Night, Highlander, um, there was a couple others. Like, I think, yeah, you were still getting uh, the tail end of all the Friday the 13th the series. You know, they're rehashing and re-showing those. Yeah. And so it was a very, I won't say a dark time, but you had popular genres jumping up. Well, yeah. I mean, horror and uh, whether it's personal horror or outright slasher horror was very popular. There was a, a definite rise in the late 80s and early 90s of that sort of bringing it from kind of a subculture to pop culture. And I think that this game existed and was created in around kind of a perfect storm. I couldn't agree more. And when you think of the guy, Mark Reinhagen, right? Yeah. He's the creator, designer, writer, and developer for this book. And really credited for the whole genre. But I think in, in the credits, they don't really do justice. Because if you think about it, they also have two noteworthy people that I know did exemplary work for him, right? One being an artist by the name of Tim Bradstreet. Yep. Another one, Ron Spencer, right? Tim Bradstreet did Clive Barker comic books. Also did uh, Star Wars comic books. Marvel, Punisher, Blade, etc. Yeah. right? Ron Spencer has, is a lifer for Magic the Gathering artwork. And if you don't know about Magic the Gathering now, you will know his works in Dungeons & Dragons. I would say that Tim Bradstreet is... I, I would credit him personally at creating the overall sort of feel and look for this game. You can instantly recognize his artwork and associate it with this game from the very launch of the game all the way up until when they actually sort of canceled the game. For, for like the length of the game, his artwork was synonymous, like t-shirt designs, book covers, a very ultra-realistic, like photorealistic sort of artwork to it, but very dark, very sinister looking. There's this misnomer that went around uh, that Mark Reinhagen was this like six and a half foot tall Scandinavian slash Norwegian goth death metal god who came up with the great idea of Vampire the Masquerade. And honestly, no. Right. Not in the slightest. No, He's, definitely not. I mean, it's it's not to say that he can't be intimidating. He has a couple stylized pictures where he's in the genre, kind of horror dressed up. But he looks like a writer. He looks like a writer. He looks like someone who's down to earth, clean cut looking, especially nowadays, and just somebody who had a great imagination and ability to articulate that imagination uh, through the medium of writing. People that are, are gaming that are creating fantasy games, that are gaming fantasy games, uh, or, or any kind of like role-playing game in general, eh, the, you know, there's the, you should ignore any kind of mythic concept you have about these people because they're you, you know, they're us. They're essentially <laughs> just people that are normal, average, everyday people that have an idea and they see it through to fruition. This book really sort of opened the door for a whole kind of subculture both in gaming and in music and it made for lack of a better way to describe it it made gaming seem like something the cool kids could do gaming purists may say all kinds of things and there's probably going to be plenty of naysayers but really what it did was for those gamers for for people who had an interest in fantasy and role-playing who weren't really into swords and sorcery which was kind of what was out there, this kind of opened that door for a world that we recognize that can also be magical in a way that's not, it's not cheesy. You know, it's not goofy. And I think that's the big impact this book had. This, this book 
drips with a lot of like nostalgia for me because like if we if, can we jump ahead a little yeah go we're ahead gonna, we're gonna dive into the yep. damned this is this book tells you exactly uh what this world is because before you read anything and it past the credits you get this note that was written in character right where this vampire wrote to you the reader who's supposed to be now introduced into the damned which is what he collectively calls himself and other vampires other immortals off the bat, you're just hammered in the face with this sort of gothic presence of a world within a world, opening your eyes to all the dangers therein. And he goes across a gamut of themes, right? The letter itself, it's very guilt-ridden. It's someone who's writing it like, I'm sorry this found you. I'm, I'm sorry you're in this world, but I don't want you to enter it blind. You know, let me give you sort of a heads up. And, um, you know, here's the do's and the don'ts. One of the, th one of the themes, you know, if we're just going to rifle off these real quick. Yeah. Or just touch on them a bit. Uh, one of the topics touched on is kindred origin. He cleverly, as this character uh, narrates in this letter, doesn't go into the whole fact of this is what the deep knowledge there is, right? doesn't right. tell you exact. He gives you an idea. You know, that like someone heard that we're cursed by God and it's descended on down, but then quickly checks it. Like, you know, it's, I, I don't believe that. You know, I've not, I've not seen it, what have you, but some believe it. But we call ourselves kindred because we're all in this together relating to this curse of immortality. So immediately it sets up this tone for a community of vampires, right? Or to me, bring your friends to this play this game. Right, right, exactly, exactly. It's, it's very much designed to give you a feel for the world that the creators were literally trying to paint. And it is a world of, of darkness, it, to, to just stop waxing poetic. What they create here is they create something called the world of darkness. And that world of darkness is sort of a twisted reflection of our own. It is what the creators call gothic punk. It's our world, but it's a little bit darker. It's a little bit more, you know, there's, there's a few more gargoyles on the buildings and the shadows loom a little bit longer. And these vampires exist outside of the normal society, but sort of intermingling into it. You know, it's, it's a classic take on the modern idea of a vampire, but done so with its own sort of concepts and its own sort of mythos. Into uh, a into a brief head nod about this letter, I mean, they went all out. I mean, the font is written in like an archaic Gothic structure. All the letter, you know, it's a little hard to read if you're not used to it because it's completely different. If you're looking for like your typical uh, Roman numeric, you're not getting it here. And it's because it's supposed to be some immortal, right? from a different yeah. time period, and this is how they write. And they get English and common English, and here it is, but it, it just makes it nostalgic. Like, you're in this letter. This is addressed to you, and it's very personable. And even the end, Semper Service VT. Those are, his, those are his initials. And the fact that he uses Latin, you know, is pretty cool. It lets yeah. you know, you know, it just drips with ancient goth. Goth, excuse me, I won't just say goth. Uh, but uh, it's, it's what you need to really get an idea of this book and a fun tidbit i originally bought this book thinking it was just a book on vampires i didn't know it was a game and that's because the bookstore i got this from didn't know it was a game because they opened it and read it a couple and prefaced it and went okay right. this this is telling you what a vampire is what what the life is like for the vampire i mean they don't really clue you in as to it's a game for a number of pages it gives you flavor first it gives you an idea of the specific terms and concepts that you're going to be using while you play the game, but does so in a way that 
it's it's wrapped up in this fictional tale, in this story, in in this letter that's written by whoever the elusive VT is. And for anybody that you know knows vampires, you could pretty much make your assumptions right you off. You can wax poetic. I mean, this right. is the first book, right? And who knows what sprang from this? But clearly, this is a well of creativity, like tons of ideas. Just if you this this book is what you need if you're going to be playing this game. And I say this because if you're new. No better explanation can you get than reading the first couple pages as to what you're doing. It's in depth. For instance, when it gets in the origins of, uh, of the kindred, right? Again, it's written from this guy VT's perspective. And he says, most of our lore is contained within an ancient text known as the Book of Nod, which is another head nod reference to a book they wrote later. But uh, it says, neither I nor any of my acquaintances has ever seen or heard of a complete copy, although fragments have been published over the centuries. Multis linguis, multis causis. Uh, there is much confusion and contradiction, and some versions appear to have been deliber deliberately falsified. Why that sticks out to me, this immediately lets a player know of this game that there is a ton of content for it. Right. That this is not a rule book like D&D that's going to tell you a, a to Z how to do what you're supposed to be doing. It literally right. sets this up for there is no correct way because we don't even know the correct way. Right. Right. And it, it allows the creators to lay a foundation that they'll use throughout the entire series. And that foundation is we're going to tell you things. We're going to give you lores and we're going to we're going to explain this rich world. But we're going to do so in a way that leaves the truth to your guessing. Basically, we're never going to say this is what it is until the end. It gives you a concept. It gives you the overall feel of this game. It creates that sense of mystery. And one of the cool things uh, about vampire in and of itself, that after you get an idea of what a vampire is and how it's a biblical curse, and here's the order of it, because later on he does define it a bit more, uh, flushes out the origins, right? Once you get past those origins, as mystic as they are, uh, you get to the concept that keeps all vampires alive. Interesting fact, right? It's called yep. the Masquerade. It's this unspoken philosophy where they got together and decided to live amongst the so-called mortals. Uh, we have to remain hidden. And why we have to do that is because previous times, you didn't have to worry about cameras and cell phones and uh, media and, and any, anyone tattling on you, basically. If you went and murdered a farmer's whole entire land and ate everybody therein, plus servants, they would think a plague. Or some sort of monster rampaged through. But they're not going to point to right. one of their own and go, oh, it must have been the undead lord that did it. And even if you knew it was the undead lord, what could you do? You know, you're on his fiefdom, his demence. Well, here's what we did <laughs> as humans. Eventually, we had enough, rose up, and started burning all these buildings we knew that the master stayed in. For no other reason than the church told us fire purifies. is is ordained by God, right? Because this is the Inquisition we're talking about. And it had a profound impact on the vampires as a race. It humbled them. It let them know that, you know, yeah, we're immortal and we got this power, but we are not the apex. Because our food can gather together in hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and just shut us down. So they got smarter. And how they got smarter is, they even give a date, it's in 1435, there was found an organization, a cause, 
an obsession as referred to, or a war. And what they're referring to is all that tumult that we were just talking about. What happens is, basically the elders of the, of the vampires turned to each other and went, we have to come up with a plan. And the plan was simple. We live forever, they don't, so we move to the background. We seduce a few mortals as servants, and we hunt as normal, but we clean up our cities, basically. And we establish this whole pecking order. Princes on down, and we'll get to that later. But this theory of masquerade is the whole of the game. It doesn't matter what you're playing, it will, it will haunt you. Because if you're a vampire and you don't obey this masquerade, you make it worse for other vampires who will come for you. And you're putting yourself on front center stage for all the Van Helsings that are out there to come hunt you as well. They make it a point to iron all that stuff out. And all of this stuff that they talk about at the beginning of the book, these are all themes that are going to carry this game for 25 years. Themes that are consistent across the board. They do a great job of leveling with you right at the beginning. And so to kind of finish out this chapter here, uh, they talk about, you know, the childer, the nature of what it is to be a vampire, what it is to embrace one. And if you don't know what that is, the vampires do not call making a vampire making a vampire. <laughs> no three bites over three nights and you're a vampire. You know, there's a <laughs> right. process. And it's called the embrace. It's very emotional. It's a very passionate experience for the victim. For the vampire, it's feeding in and of itself. And then there is supposed to be a bonding there that often gets overlooked and he, and he even explains why later on. Childer, of course, is if a vampire makes another vampire, the master vampire, if you prefer, is the sire. The Childer would be who he made. Then you have the anatomy of a vampire. And why I love this is that it includes in here exactly what you are and what you are not. For instance, you don't glow. This is pulled from everything at this point, right? All the lore that we know and love that have made vampires scary, right? One of the things that highlight in the anatomy of a vampire is that yes, you're dead flesh. You can use your blood to copy a normal mortal behavior such as sex. Can vampires have sex? Even highlights it. You could, but it'd be no different than you, uh, how do I put this, uh, sewing <laughs> or right. shoveling something. Right. You literally do not care about anything but blood. And blood becomes an exponential experience. It's, it's your everything times infinity. You get lost in it. The taste, the texture, the feeling, the emotion, that you're a predator, the danger of it, the taboo of it. And you just become one with it. And you always hunger, which segues to that. So it, it hooks in these two themes, right? One, you're this dead thing that can no longer feel. You don't have feelings anymore. You right. have concepts of feelings. You know what loyalty is, but you won't maintain it because you don't emulate it. You don't have that trust in you anymore. Because you're a predator at the top of the food chain amongst other predators who seek to take you out because they want blood as well. Maybe not immediately. You're always viewed as a pawn, as it outlines in this book. The other half is, is that you then have this hunger driving you, right? Right. We want you to be hidden amongst these mortals, amongst your food, but then we're going to drive this passion in you to just eternally feed because the blood is everywhere and you can't escape it. One thing that I think is uh, very important to note is that there's a very deep religious sort of theme to this game. And that's intentional. It is believed, according to the mythos of the game, that vampires are cursed by God. A part of that thirst is that thirst for innocence. They don't go over the top with it. They basically indicate, like, Cain is the first, Cain was cursed by God, and all those that came after him feel that curse as well. If you believe the mythos, if you believe the legends and lore, that's why. Everything is a passing fancy. You may occupy your time with all these human endeavors, but at the end of the day... God made you a predator and cursed you. You live eternally, preying on the people you used to love. Right. And that's where it gets into the theme of madness. This is something that's never, ever reprinted in further supplements for this game. And I think this is where a disservice happens to Mark Reinhagen's ideal. 
the madness is critical. To explain to someone that you're immortal, then why would I go and do all this? Why would I betray my friends? Why would I play this game if I know that's bad? Not play the game, play the game, but you're a vampire. Why am I going to betray my family and my loved ones? Well, off the bat, tells you a story in this book about how a vampire goes and she's was it zella i believe her name is they have the artwork shelza shelza that's what it is and how she's just made and we're in we're in like mesopotamian times like ancient times yeah and babylonian what have you and she's just there and she decides that she's gonna go hunting well no skin off her nose she goes where it's populated in babylon actually the city of babylon grabs a dude rips his throat open and just orgies in the blood, just monstrously, just just devours it. She's beautiful. She feels she's a goddess, and now she's this predator, and, and nothing can stop her. Well, after she feeds, these elders come and get her, because even back then, there was a way to do things, a way not to do things. And she was in another predator's territory and just decided to massacre somebody. That doesn't fly. She gets brought before the ruler, and because she's beautiful, the ruler's beautiful, they highlight an element in vampire that is always there, right? Nate, Nate touched on the beginning where he talked about vampire was very, very sensual. Yeah. Its popularity is how dark it is, how it's always the beautiful people immortalized, right? Beautiful monsters. And these two in the story are no different. And when they team up and get together, they naturally have the most wild of blood orgies, according to how it was drawn. The elders end up getting not just jealous, but know this can't last. Because they're hearing the malcontents amongst their servants in Babel and complaining about their new lords and gods. Well, what happens is these mortals band together and try to burn the king out during the day. And they succeed. They kill him. Poor Zella has to figure it out. She runs half on fire and sinks into the earth. And again, we're touching on those old tales of vampires, right? Dracula had that ability to sink into the earth. And uh, other than Dracula, they had um, John Carpenter's vampires. It's a fairly common vampire myth. And just know? weird, right? Nobody, right. you don't know why, right? They could change it to a bat, change it to a wolf, mist, change into mist, sink into the earth. And it's because they're a blight. It's definitely deeply rooted in the superstition of vampires, that they're a part of the land, that the you know they're a spirit you know things things like that like all all of these you know european myths they do factor into a degree and to finish that out madness excuse me the madness portion of it is you have to deal with the fact that you're this creature now right where the only thing is blood and you can't control it no matter how logical or rational you are you will do anything to get that fix it's your new drug it's your only source of food it's it's every urge you've ever had and how do you balance that in your new life? And to put the kind of kibosh on to jump forward, uh, the story with Zella, she goes to the future and refines her king. The whole, the whole symptom that if you were alive long enough, eventually you'll run into somebody you knew right. that has recently passed. And when she finds him, she's obsessed. Why? She's an elder and she's been around that long. And so she's a bit insane, a bit touched. And she just says simply... This new artist I found in Chicago, which is where his story takes place, this dude, that's, that's the king. And so now I'll make him my child. And that's, that's what it'll be. And mm-hmm. she does it. Where the, where the sick part is, other than her obsessive madness, as I'll call it, uh, his first night as a vampire, he goes back home to his family, and the hunger forces him to eat them all. Wife, children, didn't matter. And he didn't know he was going to do it. And that snaps people in half. Right. And it's, uh, it's one thing that they show you uh, in this game. And again, it's a theme that runs throughout the course of the game. It is the duality of a logical mind that can think and feel and has emotions 
however dull they might be by your vampiric nature, and that of the beast. And the beast is just it was is what is inside of you that calls to feed, and the constant struggle between those two. And you know uh, this is a prime example in the comic book where this uh, newly embraced vampire can't control that urge and it overrides any sort of logic any emotional bond with the people that you love and you spend your nights grappling with that and we're talking step by step right and what i mean by that is is that this book sets you up with the damned right letting you know the ins and outs the feel of vampires had and if you're listening you know hopefully we've we touched on that that you've got a decent idea that you are truly damned if you're one of these entities and then Mark Ray Hagen does something genius. Between each chapter, he gives a great drawing, right? A great picture. Uh, mostly Tim Spencer, I believe, uh, did the drawings. But uh, they show you a vampire clan and the pronunciation for it. At the beginning of all of the chapters, and uh, we have the book here so I can actually check real quick. Most of those photorealistic drawings are done by Tim Bradstreet. So like the Tremere and I'm not sure which specific. Tim Bradstreet does... All the all the chapter head pictures, for lack of a better term, all the paintings, the chapter head paintings, those are all Tim Bradstreet, and yeah. those those really set the the image. You know, there's a bunch of artwork in these books, like tons and tons of artwork, um, lots of little drawings, little character pieces, and stuff like that. But the which, main, which honestly, that led to the success of Vampire as a whole. Yeah. All yeah. that artwork drew people to it. People who didn't even have a care of the game bought like one of their best selling books was the was I believe it was the artwork of the kindred. Yeah. I think it might have been I th- called. I think that. that's what it's called. We can check the list to to double check that, but yeah. Uh I think it's it's like artwork of the kindred or um something something like that. Anyways. Uh you talk, I'll look. You talk I'll <laughs> So and then uh the thing about chapter one, what I like is that he goes from all, okay, you're a vampire, you're damned, all right, now here's how we play the game. And the introduction's pretty cool. Breaks off from the whole narrative uh, portion, at least from being a vampire, and it's just, it's like Mark Ranhagen's in the room telling you how this game is, you know, what he intends to do. And the way it's written, it flows very personal, which is cool. For instance, he outlines the fact that the vampiric mentality is uh, the becoming of centuries uh, you have to live. Uh, you are a predator. You do not crave money or clothing, riches or power. There is only blood. Everything else is passing fancy. Powerful words to me uh, to set you up. I mean, not to not just outright you know be obsessed with it, but the fact is, no other game does that. No other game tries. No no book tries to make you the paladin. They're just like, hey, God likes you. Here's some spells. Enjoy the sword. Yeah, it was Have a it. very a very interesting turn for. Most people who were used to going, okay, I'm I'm playing the hero, you know, I'm I'm going into this game. I'm gonna have my sword and my shield, or I'm gonna have my magic spells, or what have you. But with Vampire the Masquerade, that's not necessarily the case. You know, you could play a hero individual, but at the end of the day, you're still kind of gonna always be a bad guy because you have to feed on human beings. That beast urges you forward. And you have to live with that. The best you'll ever be is an anti-hero. The absolute best. But I also think that's the draw, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole point is is that you're not playing this game. If you're looking to be a good guy, don't play a gothic game. Yeah, absolutely. It's that simple. I mean, gothic theme 
is what this gets into. And later on, uh, there are other supplements that highlight that. But this is where you get your training. Actually, I won't even say training wheels. This is where your foundation's laid, where it kind of tells you that here's what it is to be what you are and what you wish to portray. And I think that beyond that, one of the things about the, oh, backtrack one step because it's yeah. a huge thing. Diablery, the Amaranth. It's something, what it is by, by game definition, Diablery is when one vampire literally devours all the blood and essence of another vampire and gains its strength, destroying the soul of the victim. Why that's important is because this too plays to the fact that if you had imagined, there, there's a drawing that was done and it depicts Dante's Inferno. And in that picture, it shows men and women and, and even children who are in hell are literally eating each other. They're, they're in the lake of fire still eating and clawing and gnashing and doing whatever to one another. And that picture has had versions of it translated over to a vampire theme, explaining what a vampire does. That if all you have is, if all in the world are these intelligent predators walking around, you're inevitably going to war with one another. And you're warring, people think, it's got to be because he owns a city, he's rich, it's what have you. It's the age of blood. If you encounter a vampire from Babylon, and it's 2016, and we are embraced tonight, if we were to taste that person's blood, we are tasting the literal concentrate of right. blood that they fed on through the ages. Right. And that's another, that's another striking theme, is that the, the older and closer to the progenitor your vampire is, the more potent, the less muddied the water. Right. And the cool thing about that is, it also explains the beast. Now, the beast in you is what drives you for the hunger, right? Mm -hmm. The argument is you're not even human anymore. Right. It's your human brain is learning to make peace with the fact you got to feed. And if you don't, your, your body will take over. You will just be this animal. And the kindred referred to it as the beast versus their humanity. A centuries-old fight. It's the slide towards just waking up every night and feeding blood. And answers that question, why don't I just run around and just feed on blood? Well, the simple answer is because you'd get killed. Yeah, that's very true. Who wouldn't hunt you? You know what I mean? If this were a movie, and you were, it would be 30 Days of Night. If yep. you've seen the film, think about it. Those are beast-ridden vampires. There's a reason they get their heads cut off. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Got to have that happen. One of the things he quit, he's quick to highlight is the storyteller. And why I like the fact that he jumps in is because when you're looking at storytelling, just to read a quote from him, he says, Long ago before movies, TV, radio, and books, people used to tell stories. Tales in the Hunt. Legends about the gods and the great spirits, or gossip about the affairs of others, all drew rapt attention. They would tell these stories aloud as part of an oral tradition of storytelling, but this tradition has been mostly lost. Other forms of storytelling have taken its place. Why I think that's amazing. It highlights to you why is this game so popular? Why do people enjoy role-playing? What's going on? You've enjoyed storytelling every day of your life. Right. There's an important distinction between other games of the time and, and predecessors in the storytelling system. When you play like Dungeons and Dragons or you play any other type of game like that, Shadowrun, you know, they always refer to the person running the game as like the game master or the dungeon master. And it's kind of like you're creating a setting and sort of putting your players through the paces. With the advent of the storytelling system, there's a lot less dice rolling and nonsense because the point of it is you're really creating a novel as you go. More focused on the role play aspect of what you're trying to experience and what you're trying to portray than a lot of dice rolling in combat. Right. You know, there's definitely room for it. There's definitely room for you going out and, and taking actions. And of course... You need some sort of supplement for that, whether and it's dice or, or what have you. 
and, and I feel that's real. It's even compli- complicated to explain, which is why I think Mark Renhagen does it best. Uh, he says, uh, to understand role-playing, you only have to go back to your childhood and those wonderful afternoons spent playing cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians, and dress up. What you were doing was role-playing, a sort of spontaneous and natural acting that completely occupied your imagination. The play acting helped you learn about life and what it meant to be grown up. It was an essential part of childhood, but just because you have succeeded in growing up doesn't mean you have to stop. Adulthood brings responsibility, but we don't necessarily have to give up childhood's frivolous, open-minded love of fun. Nowadays, society allows us to remain a child. We can go back to role-playing. And in Vampire, unlike in Pretend, there are a few rules to help you role-play. Uh, they are meant to avoid bang-bang, you're dead. No, I'm not. And I think he highlights every... Like, Nate, very detailed. I had to kind of bring up the difference in it, because we've advanced to the point after supplements to where they explain it very kind of... I guess I want to say sterile, where it's like, this is what it is, and compartmentalize, and this is the logic, why don't you get it? But Mark Hagen tugs in your heartstrings. Yeah. Everything he says, he told you the story of what role-playing is, and everybody can understand it. And even adds, yeah, I could see where it's a little childish, but it's only a little childish because I brought you back to yeah. the nostalgia of when your imagination was at its most fertile. Yeah, and we have to remember, too, that this is literally the beginning. This is where... This system and all the different themes as far as game is concerned, this is where they all originated. It's going to be very childlike in its presentation because it's appealing to that, because it's brand new, because you've never played before, because no one has. Quotes, right? I love this book for all the quotes that are in it to help you kind of understand and digest. It's like they seed in your mind uh, what you're about to read. For instance, role-playing. Childhood is the kingdom where nobody dies. Nobody that matters, that is. As quoted by Edna St. Vincent Millay of her poem, or excuse me, of her story, Childhood is the Kingdom Where Nobody Dies. Pretty simple. Kind of outlines role-playing, but then this, obviously this section gets more defined into it to help you, the player, understand that. And when you get to the part of the storyteller, another powerful quote, Life has confided so many stories to me, I shall have to retell them to people who cannot read the book of life itself. Quoted from Ellie Hellison uh, from An Interrupted Life. Naturally, they weren't referring to vampires, but they were touching on storytelling and role-playing. Right. You know, it's, that's the beautiful thing about poetry. Many interpretations. Now, for people that are experienced with this game, you're going to notice right off the bat, these are very primitive, sort of unevolved versions of what you may have come to know later. I feel either way, they're important for you to look at because it helps you to see where their, their heads were at when they were writing the books originally. Right. I don't think that there's really much point to go into all the specific details of all that. You can read it as you see fit. And the fun part about this book, and I, I can't say this enough, and this is more for the veterans, or the so-called veterans, I should say, you need this book because you need to understand what it is you're playing. And what I mean by that is, it's not that you didn't understand the words, you don't have the heart, because this is the creator of the game. This is their book. And so that's what I mean by that. A lot of people... Like if you've ever if you ever heard of people quote Gary Gygax left and right because they they're just so in love with Gary Gygax, I'm willing to bet. And Gary Gygax, by the way, is the founder of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm willing to bet those people own his first edition copies of the game, where it was just just a guy hoping against hope that people gave a shit about what he was writing. I really feel that this first edition book hammers that home. It's testament to the fact that it's been going for 25 years. Not only is it a testament for its longevity, but it's a testament because this is the book that started a game that people were so addicted to and so enamored by that when the company who uh, the, the company that was publishing it decided, all right, well, that's the end of our story. We're going to move on. We're going to create a new game. Granted, tons of people love the new game, but there is such an 
like an outpouring for this game to continue that what like 10 years later they went okay fine fine we'll we'll reopen the gates we'll continue the story for you let's make some new books but we're going to make you kickstart us <laughs> right but to the but to the, to to that point it was a group of fans like yeah. you said the legion that actually threatened to kickstart the game yeah of a varying type of the game what white wolf eventually had to leak was the fact that they were coming up with a different type of vampire called vampire the requiem which we'll talk yeah. about later yeah but you'll get the idea i'm uh i don't know nate out of curiosity mm-hmm. are you a old world of darkness fan or are you a new world of darkness fan well i'm i'm an old world of darkness fan i mean that's uh i'm not i'm not a not fan that doesn't even make sense i'm not against in any way the new world of darkness i i I think it's enjoyable i just don't know it as well as these you know 90 or 100 books that you know when you basically well i'll put it to you like this this is a kind of the game that really got me started into gaming so this is something historically that i know fairly well you know i have a great deal of experience with it and learning a new game you know it just doesn't have the same kind of longevity it doesn't have the same emotional response for what it is or what it's not the new stuff is definitely it's well written it's organized it's good what else can you say there's something to be said about nostalgia and and for me i feel that i'm a i'm a fan of both Mm -hmm. i would even say equally because i feel that the company even wrote and created this stuff very much fitting the theme of their game where old world of darkness is like the elder right Mm -hmm. and their chilled's new world of darkness and why is that? The, the child has better ways that the, the rules work, better ways of des- describing the powers and how the cities interact and commingle, how the mortals might react to them. And look at all these other monsters that exist in the new world of darkness, yeah. other than just vampires. And old world of darkness is sitting back going, but we did it best. And who gave you the ability to have those monsters? Right. And so they're like in a dance, right? I don't think old world can die. And, and, and consequently, new world can't live. Without yeah. Old World around, because yeah. there's so many people that dance in both worlds, me included. Vampire the Masquerade, while it's, I don't think it's as popular in large gaming circles, it is one of, like, if you look worldwide, it has way more popularity overseas and outside of the U.S. than it has in the U.S. right now. In Europe, I I, I would even say it, like, Dungeons & Dragons is done and gone. It's surviving by Pathfinder and the, the, the cult groups yeah. that refuse to let die. When it comes to vampire, when you had fans throwing thousand plus dollars to be quoted in a book to keep this game going, and they got well over two and a half million uh, to thrive to put out books in as a whole, what does that tell you if you're a company, right? And that's worldwide. And most of the people with the monetary clout that threw into this investment, they're from Europe. So I mean, that tells me the well, you're and, worldwide. And then uh, the game, uh, the company that bought them in the end ended up selling them. It's another European company, uh, CCP, I believe. And it, that's exactly that who. And that's something. To, that's another thing to look into as well. In recap, we can say why people should want this book is because if you're a collector, you definitely need the first book made. And if you're passionate about something, that's a duh moment, right? Uh, the second part of it is is that if you truly want to improve your acting of a genre, where you get a feel for what you're playing and, and the exact idea of the mentality you're supposed to have, this is the only book. And their entire lineup that ever hits home these methods and themes that you can stand on and say, I absolutely know the general mentality of the vampire I'm trying to portray. I could say because I personally pull a lot from this book, 
I think it's been my number one advantage. As I said, I've owned this book since I was 12. Or I had this book since I was 12. I don't know where it went, my actual copy. but We're, we're PDF in it now. Yes, we're, P- <laughs> we're modern now. But yeah. uh, this book has been near and dear to my heart. Rereading it has been just a, a treat, honestly. Brings back a lot. And actually, more importantly, it inspired me. I think that's the most important thing was that it refreshed me to want to go back to this genre and keep running great stories. As far as my personal opinion is concerned, I believe that it is a good idea for anyone interested in this game, whether you're new to the game or whether you're, you've been playing for 20 years. I, I believe it's a good idea for any of those people to have a copy of this book. And the reason why I believe that is if you're new to the game, obviously you're going to want to read the most recent rules. That's granted. But you're going to want to know where it came from. You're going to want to know the origin of those themes. And you're going to want to know what's different from where you started to where you're at now. Having said that, I think for the same reason, it's important for people that have been playing for 20 years to go back and read this. For a lot of players, it becomes traditional grinded out gaming. You know, they lose sight of why they were interested in the game in the first place, and they just want to take powers and spend points and and just, you know, min-max their character. Stop. Go back, read the first edition of this book, and understand where it came from and understand why you enjoy this hobby and why you play. Because it's not like traditional games. In that sense, it's not a numbers game. It's a game about themes and concepts and feelings. That sound wishy-washy, but that's what's important about this game. Thematic consistency and the, the darkness that's inherent in this game. So for that, I definitely say go out, get yourself a copy of this, whether you can pick one up, paper copy or PDF. Go out and get one. Read it. It would break my heart to learn that a hobby I love and enjoy that I invested thousands in. To turn around and somebody went, yeah, I got the same material, but I only spent, you know, the cost of this thumb drive and hacked it. <laughs> right, right. Get get out. I, I don't even want to know you. That's it, how bad that I, is. I think the bottom line is for people that, that create any kind of material, whether you're recording a podcast or you're writing a book or you're running a game, support the people that make your life better. Hey, we can't all afford every single paper copy of every single book, but every once in a while, spend a dollar on your hobby. Inspire the artists to make more and join them in that creativity. Don't be against it. Because at the end of the day, creating content is something that it's it's not self-sustaining. <laughs> you need to be able to have to to find some way to sustain your content. Everything that's made requires money. And at the end of the day, you make money doing your job. Content creators make money by doing their job. Help to support them. High horse being what it is. I think we'll uh We'll cut it there. Did you have any further things you wanted to add, Bob? No, there's not much to, to add. I mean, this is book one. I think our goal was to make it concise. It's the first book to give you a generality of what goes on and what it's supposed to be, enough to run the game for sure and to play it. But we're going to get into detailed information after this. Yeah. So, um, like, I think, what's the next book up? The That's next, what we should add. The next book up is the Vampire the Masquerade, The Player's Guide. That is a clear-cut example. <laughs> of how it's about to get detailed yeah for everyone until two weeks from now when we will be talking about the vampire the masquerade the player's guide first edition release of that released in 1991 i am nathan i am bob watch out for blade and buy american made Trust and you'll be trusted Sends a